Well, men are pushing for it so they can just get out of responsibility because if there's no abortion, then they're going to have to be responsible with their sexual activity um, or they're going to have to take responsibility for the children that they make. Hi, I'm Evelyn Ray. Welcome to The Cauldron Pool Show. I'm really excited about today's guest. She is the founder and director of Choice for Two. She's an incredible anti-abortion activist, Laura Clarson. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having me. Now, I've been following your work for a really long time, um, years, in fact, and I've really valued sort of your bold, strong approach on these things. And not only that, how you offer solutions and hope as well. And um, for people who might not know who you are, who haven't possibly been following you, are you able to sort of give a little bit of a background of what it is exactly that you do and sort of how you got into this space to begin with? Sure. So, yes, I run an anti-abortion organization um, that does two different things. On the one hand, we're working toward kind of exposing abortion for what it is um, in the public square, which is mostly online these days. And then the other half of what we do is we talk directly to women who are considering abortion. And we um, basically try and get them to not do that and to choose uh, to, to choose their child rather than to choose to murder their child. And then we are able to provide all kinds of like practical support, kind of whatever, whatever she might need um, to move forward successfully. Yeah. Now, the pro-life movement has something that has been around for quite a long time. You could look back decades and there's always been some kind of pushback against abortion, um, whether that be from religious groups or whether that be, um, you know, just people who feel drawn to that particular cause. But what I sort of wanted to ask you about was your approach to the pro-life movement. It's it's different to, I guess you would say, traditional or um, long-standing sort of uh, pro-life movements. And I kind of wanted to ask you what your particular approach was to this issue and how it differs from maybe other people who are in this sort of spectrum as well. Right. Um, I think that we differ now uh, just because we're so straightforward and because um, we say things that a lot of the pro-life movement wouldn't say. Also, uh, we're Canadian, so um, that plays into it a bit as well because um, there's really not so much of a movement here in Canada. Um, and the, one of the reasons I started Choice for Two um, was that nobody even knew that Canada, like Canadians didn't know that we didn't have an abortion law. So like abortion is legal throughout all nine months and Canadians don't even know it. Um, so, but yeah, the, the way that we differ and are probably not particularly liked by some of the pro-life movement is because, you know, we'll call abortion murder. Um, I do think that abortion needs to be criminalized if it's going to be abolished, um, things like that. And, and we're very also straightforward with women when we're speaking to them one-on-one. -on -one. Uh, we're not mean, we're not um, nasty, we're just truthful. And so that's probably the, the main difference. Yeah, because there are a lot of, um, I guess, uh, pro-life uh, people who refuse to um, put any blame at all on the mother. Um, and yeah, that was something that I noticed that you do quite differently is that you do call a spade a spade um, and, and you do kind of cut the fat straight off the meat and get to the, to, to the, the core of it, um, which is something I've always appreciated as well. There are a, lot, a few other people sort of in this forum who are like-minded to yourself with that as well, who I really respect um, and who have a pretty good approach like Jeff Durbin and some of those sorts of guys as well. But I wanted to ask you, um, you've been in here for quite a long time, you know, fighting this fight. Um, do you see the pro-life movement winning at all? Like, do you, because from, from sort of like, I guess, an external lens, sort of looking at it from afar, um, 
it would appear that, well, in Australia, for example, we only just recently had late term abortion um, legislated. So it's now legal. You can have late term abortion over here. Um, so from an external lens, you would think that we're almost losing the battle because things continue to um, get worse or at a higher level of degeneracy as we move forward. In Texas, you just had the heartbeat bill um, sort of fairly recently put in. You go, that's a little bit of a win, um, even though it's not entirely a win, um, depending on when a particular person views that uh, life begins, I guess. But do you see the movement as winning or do you think that we've still got a long way to go? Yeah, I don't think we're winning, um, especially, well, I mean, because babies are still dying. And like here in Canada, same with you guys, late-term abortion is possible. Like that's not winning. Um, Texas, and we work with a lot of women in Texas. And what I've noticed happening is they're just aborting earlier. Like they're finding out earlier that they're pregnant and they're just aborting earlier. So it's, it's not like any of these <laughs> things are win. I don't mean to be pessimistic. Um, of course, every, every child saved, right? Like when we're when we are talking with women and a baby saved, that's, that's a huge win. Um, but overall, I'm not, I'm not seeing too many wins. Yeah. And that, I think that's, um, yeah, that's sort of like the, the sad part about it is a lot of people don't realize just how far this particular, um, issue goes. Like, I think, you know, I was, I was talking to you, before we um, press record on here about how people in Australia aren't aware that late term abortion is lawful in most states over here and that it's something that happens. Um, and again, further to that, people don't even know what a late term abortion actually is. And I, I've, I wanna get into that with you a little bit later, um, if you're willing to, because I, I feel like it needs to be something like as hard as it is, it just needs to be dropped on people's heads because I think we need to get our head out of the sand um, and just, you know, like I said to you before, cut the fat straight off the meat and deal and have a look at what it actually is. But I wanted to sort of ask you why you think a lot of the pro-life movements um, have sort of failed and, and what it is about the pro-life movement that you think we've got wrong and that we could improve on. Well, I don't even identify with the pro-life movement at this point. Um, it is a very, what I've, what I've come to realize is it's a very Catholic driven movement and um, the Catholics have been carrying this and honestly, like good on them, they were doing something. Um, whereas like evangelical or Protestant Christians have basically not really done anything until now. And I think that um, like, I do believe that Christianity is the truth. And so it's almost like it hasn't been attempted correctly yet. Um, be, to just do it as as Christians pleading to God to help them to end it. So like the, the longer I'm I'm doing this, the more I'm realizing um, because when I when I started and uh, actually I sent out an email, it was six years ago when we launched Choice for Two. And I sent out an email to every evangelical church that I could in Canada that you know I found all the lists, I sent them all out. And um, I think I got back maybe like one or two pastors that were like, hey, this is a good idea. I got mm -hmm. messages from pastors being saying, go to hell, saying, where does it say in the wow. Bible that abortion? Yeah, where, show me in the Bible where it says abortion's wrong. Um, I got more negative responses than anything positive from these pastors. And then the Catholic church, though, was like, right on like right away on board being like okay great um something new you know here we go we'll support this so that was very interesting but i feel like we've made huge strides here in canada with um kind of getting christians to wake up getting christians to speak out like and starting with the pastors so that has been really encouraging yeah when i i, I attended um a anti-abortion rally back here in 2018 when they were introducing late-term abortion in New South Wales in Australia. And it was very Catholic dominant, exactly as you mentioned. Um, and to be honest, like I um, am sort of reformed in my theology um, and 
uh, there were a few of us from like my church um, and, you know, a few family that I sort of went with. But other than that, yeah, I, I, I'm not sure where the Protestants were. Um, again, yeah, very, very Catholic and, and good on them. Like they, as you said, they've been sort of carrying this burden almost alone like for a yep. long time. And while I, I very much differ on theology, I, I do respect that they have been so, um, I guess, bold about it and unapologetic where they stand. Um, and, and it's it's interesting. It's something that um, I think I think COVID's really highlighted, but it's definitely been something that's been around for a long time. And that's a really weak church. And I don't mean to criticize all churches. There are some very strong churches and um, incredible like shepherding of, um, you know, people. But yeah, I, I really do think that Christians uh, have to step up a lot more. Um, and I think when you have a weak church you have a weak community and you have and that's unfortunately when weak culture and ideology kind of can fester into the pool and take over and that's sadly what we're kind of seeing um so when when you were sort of talking about how you know what christians need to do um and and i guess people um who are kind of coming into this pro-life movement and you sort of don't really identify with it how is it that you uh remedy those sorts of things and how is it that you kind of counter the flaws in the movement what is it that you um want to do sort of differently to kind of start having those wins well, like I've said this because people will ask me, okay, so like, what do we need to do? Like, what's the answer? And I'm like, I don't know. I'm just one person that started this organization. I'm not in the political realm. I'm doing the thing that I know how to do, but I do think that the churches need to step up. And like, as you said, with COVID, it really uh, illuminated a lot of things. And COVID helped me pick out the pastors from across Canada who I thought would, um, be willing to do something about abortion. And they were. And um, like last year, we had the first ever anti-abortion conference in Canada in Windsor at a Pastor Aaron Rock's church there. He was one of the um, pastors arrested for having his church open. And um, from there, just kind of this network opening up. And, and it's like, we still, we still don't get it. We still don't get how serious this is because like look at with the the truckers, right? Like we had the whole trucking movement right there in Ottawa and people got really fired up and they all band together and they all went to Ottawa and they had this massive peaceful protest that had successful results. Like the anti-abortion movement is not at that level of like, hey, we're sacrificing children in this country and we need to end it. Like, let's go to parliament. Like we don't have that. It's not, it's not yet, people are not yet grasping it. Pastors, even the pastors I'm connecting with are not yet grasping it because we're talking about it. We're talking about children being ripped apart and murdered. And they're like, yes, we need to do something. Okay, let's chat again in three months. And it's like, no, there's no sense of urgency. Like mm -hmm. they're not getting it. So the urgency, we need to, we need to understand what we're dealing with. And we need to understand that as Christians, like God is going to judge us for what we do or don't do regarding legalized child sacrifice in our own countries, right? Mm. Now, I wanted to sort of get um, you to sort of elaborate on what you meant earlier when you said um, criminalize abortion. Can you kind of explain um, sort of how you see that? Yeah, well, people say we need to um, make abortion illegal, but that, that would only mean basically the abortionist or the doctor would be penalized for the murder of the baby. But like, that doesn't make sense to me because who, who books the appointment, who walks in to the clinic, who pays the fee, who gets up on the table and who allows their own child to be murdered? It's the woman. So if you're not going to criminalize the women, you're not going to end it because she's responsible. It's, it's this, it's this idea of a second victim. And I like working at choice for two, I would say that there are some situations where the woman is a, is, is a victim like uh, sex trafficking, where 
this woman was literally pinned down on a table and her child was aborted. She's a victim. She is, that is not her choice. She, you know, that is different from a woman saying, I can't pay my rent. Therefore I need to kill my child. Like there has to be some, some responsibility here. And the other thing that people say is, well, they have it in their minds that this would mean we'd be going back retroactively, finding these women who've had abortions and then like penalizing them. That is not, that's not what anyone's saying, right? Like abortion is legal right now. So once it's made illegal, then it's going from there that if you participate in it, I I believe it should be a murder charge. Mm. And yeah, a lot of people, um, like I said before, don't like to talk about the woman in any other context other than being a victim. Um, And I think a lot of people like have got these preconceived ideas that the only reason women get abortions is if they're raped, if they're sexually assaulted and they're a victim. And I think people um, don't want to believe that women could Uh, do these things for selfish reasons like career or money or, you know, it's it's inconvenient, things like that. And I I honestly think that um, it's almost too shocking for people to see as reality um, because, and and I sort of wanted to ask you this question, I'm not sure if you're aware or, or you know off the top of your head, but do you have any idea on this sort of statistics around rape victims and sexual assault victims in comparison to people who use abortion for other reasons? Because my understanding is it's almost next to nothing. Um, yeah, it's very low. It's like less than 1% in the case of rape. And the the women that we talk to and we interact with, it is overwhelmingly the, the overwhelmingly, the reason is just selfish reasons that they now is not the right time, that they weren't um, using protection, that this was, you know, um, an accident that wasn't supposed to happen. And now they don't want to deal with it. It's, it's not. And you know what? The women that we have talked to who became pregnant by rape, all of them kept the baby. Mm. So there's this, there's this idea that you know, yeah, exactly. Like you said, like women need abortion for the case of rape. They don't. There was a really good video that, um, Cauldron Pool actually published a little while ago, uh, with a woman who was a rape victim and she kind of, uh, basically narrates a story of what her life would have been like had she aborted her child. And, you know, it kind of starts at the age of the child who I think at that particular time was like maybe nine years old and goes sort of in reverse back down to pregnancy. And it just shows you everything she would have missed had she chosen to go through and aborted. And, you know, she talks about um, her rape and um, how the the child actually helped her heal from that. Um, And it was actually a really touching video and a lot of people, when I sort of say that I'm pro-life, I'm anti-abortion, a lot of people say, well, what about these rape victims? Do you not care about them, Evelyn? And you'd have to be a psychopath to not care that somebody has been raped. I worked as a detective at child sex crimes in Australia. I have seen the horrible side of rape and can completely feel compassion for women in those positions. Um, it's just not the case, but it's interesting that that's usually the first thing that people say when I say that I'm anti-abortion. Well, what about these victims? And I like to show them that video as kind of a tangible, um, like this is reality, but I'm not sure if you experience the same thing, if that's the most common pushback that you get, what about rape victims? Um, But what is it that you would say in response to somebody who asks you that particular sort of question? Yeah, it that is. I think that the pro-choice movement did a really good job with like their propaganda and their marketing when they first started out in every country. And they pushed that idea that women who are sexually abused um, would need would need rape. And yes, it's I mean, it's awful. It's so bad. Um, But the woman who's raped is a victim. As soon as she turns around and murders the child. Now, you know, now she's become like, 
she's become the aggressor as well. And it doesn't do a woman any good to kill her own child. It doesn't. Like people can say all the things they want to say with, you know, uh, women don't, they're not affected by abortion. Um, you know, it doesn't affect anything moving forward. It's just like removing a tumor. And it's such lies. It's such lies. And it makes me so angry because the other, the other side of things of, of what we end up doing is a lot of post-abortion um, support for women who've had abortions. And we've had women in their 70s and 80s reach out to us and say, I never admitted to anyone that my abortion was bad for me until now. I lived my entire life like with a mask on convincing myself and that this was a right and empowering choice. Um, but really it destroyed me. You know what I mean? Like you, you kill your own child. That's going to do a lot to you yourself. That is not good for you. So for a, a rape victim, I wouldn't want to add that violence onto her experience at all to, to go from being raped, which is disgusting and terrible to then go to killing your own child. Like that's, that is not the answer. It doesn't unrape the woman. It just adds more trauma. So there definitely needs to be like a huge network of support for women who have been raped. And um, we, we as well did a video a couple of years ago about a woman named Louise who was raped. And she, uh, I forget how, how she worded it. She'd say her daughter is the beauty in the disaster. And I, mm -hmm. and I just loved that because yeah, her daughter helped her to heal and her daughter's what keeps her going. Mm. Yeah, I think um, when you usually <laughs> when you're not allowed to talk about something, you probably should be. And mm -hmm. what you mentioned about the regret or the trauma that can come at any stage of a woman's life after an abortion is something that you're not allowed to talk about, but should be spoken about because um, I had a friend of mine that I knew through high school who had an abortion um, and she used to talk to me about it in her 20s about the regret that she had and how sad she is and she's now in her 30s and unmarried and childless and the trauma of what she did um, eats away at her more and more every single year as she gets older and she realizes she might never get that opportunity again. Um, and yeah, but she was sort of told as a young child, well, she, she wasn't a child, but as a young woman that she was too young to be a mother and that she, you know, um, she wouldn't have a life if she was to follow through with the pregnancy, she couldn't have a career, everything would change basically. Um, and I find it really sad, the feminist movement I like to say the modern feminist movement in particular, right. <laughs> they appear to hate women. Um, and I'm just going to say it because everything that they do is not good for women in the end. And you've got these lies that are constantly being sold, like a career is your identity. And you know, that you can have the best of both worlds, career and family. And not only can you, have it you should have it and they you know they like to sort of go under the facade of um you know uh you can be whatever you want to be as a woman but how dare you be a mother and a wife like that's when we're gonna sort of criticize right. that <laughs> i feel like this abortion thing has been tangled up in this i guess corrosive ideology this modern feminist sort of thing um and when you go to these sort of um abortion rallies and things it's always the topless women you know with riding across their breasts on the streets doing things it's very rarely that you see too many men on you know in, in these sorts of things it is very much a, a feminist type movement um have you seen differently do you see a lot of men pushing for these things as well or is it sort of mostly the feminist sort of movement well, men are pushing for it so they can just get out of responsibility because if there's no abortion, then they're going to have to be responsible with their sexual activity um, or they're going to have to take responsibility for the children that they make. So men are very supportive of the abortion movement as well. Um, quietly, maybe. <laughs> quietly or just like 
<laughs> pretending, pretending that they really do care about women when really they just want to have consequence-free sex. That's true. Yeah, yeah, I think that the uh, sexual revolution in the 60s was a very good day for the progressive man because, yeah, he had sex without consequence. And whether you like to admit it or not, women are biologically different and women, unfortunately, wear the brunt of that consequence. And right. child support and things like that, I'm sure there are many women who can testify that that's can be uh, a good thing or a bad thing. Uh, it's inconsistent. I don't know personally, but um, yeah, I, I find it interesting that um, the sort of abortion, sexual revolution, all these things, it just seems to have really uh, put the burden on the shoulders of women, um, which is ironic because the whole movement was supposed to empower women. It sort of had the exact opposite effect. But Speaking about, like we sort of went before about into rape and sexual assault, but there are also lots of other arguments that people use to try and counter abortion, to try and say, to try and justify it and try and explain their way through it. I often, equally as much as rape, I hear people say, oh, late-term abortion is appalling. It's shocking. Late-term abortion is murder. But if it's before 12 weeks, I think that's okay. And that's, I'm not sure if you have heard the same sort of thing, but I did a little video a while ago um, based on the SLED principle, which was the um, size of the baby, the level of development, the environment, and then the dependency, because those sort of four things are the main arguments um, why abortion should be okay up to a certain age. Now, how would you counter that particular argument? And what would you sort of say in response to those things? Well, I think that a human being is a human being. So yeah, like who are you to decide at what point now, now this human matters, but like 24 hours ago, nope, didn't matter then. So I think it, it, it does come down. People will say it's science, but it's also like a belief in God thing because it actually terrifies me the more that I think about it now, because I'm like, if God creates people, right. And I believe that human life begins at conception. So there God's created this person at conception. Does God view me, this person walking around as any more valuable than this new person at conception? And I believe no. Um, but then like we're, we're in a lot of trouble because we don't, we really don't view them as equal. There's no value for, for life in the womb. And so it's, I think it really does come down to when you believe that life starts. And if you actually believe in equality for all human life, that's where it all stems out of. Right. Cause like if you, if you think, okay, even if you do believe that a life does begin at conception, people will still have it in their mind. Yeah. But the woman is worth more, worth more, right. Than than this baby. So it's okay for her to decide what to do with this, with this baby. So it's the whole, it's the whole mindset of just when does human life start and when do we value human life? I think most embryologists around the world have all agreed that life begins at conception. It's right. science. Um, it, it's, it's interesting. We, people value like the eggs of these, you know, turtles that come right. up on shore and these falcon eggs and all of these things, you know, we've got to protect the environment, these species, we've got to do all these things. Um, they're unborn, they're in eggs, they're, you know, and you see all of these um, environmentalist people who are for abortion, but, you know, um, and you see all these vegan activists, I, I'm, I'm a cattle farmer, okay. And so, um, you see a lot of uh, vegan activists talk about the cruelty of, of certain things. And um, I, I, I don't do dairy farming or anything like that, but apparently it's, a, it's an abhorrent uh, industry to be in because babies um, are sometimes aborted just so the mums have milk and they can... I, it is pretty horrible when you think about it. Um, but, you know, it's interesting that there is a lot of outrage um, at things like that. 
But when you look at the human species, uh, people <laughs> don't seem to care. And w when COVID happened, it was funny. There was, I don't know if you remember Fauci and the beagles, you know, the dogs that he experimented yes. on. Yes. Oh, wasn't there internet outrage? And it's like, what about the experimental stuff on human beings that has been happening? Yes. Uh, and it's this warped thing where people uh, somehow have dehumanized humans and humanized animals and we care more about their well-being and their wombs and their offsprings and th than our own it's i don't know how we've got here it must be great <laughs> propaganda i don't know yeah it's just evil that that whole idea that any other animal would be worth more than a human it's just evil mm. yeah it's um you're right. I, I, I'm, I have no words other than sin and the depravity of man, um, yeah. unfortunately. But, you know, it's, it's, it's funny how, um, yeah, we, we want to protect so many things in, in life. You know, we get taxed so that we can protect our trees. We get taxed so that we can protect our neighbor. But, you know, when it comes to protecting the unborn, we just we don't care um, and we make excuses and we justify it in the name of health care, mm -hmm. which is ironic. Um, but, you know, going back on sort of those sled principles, like the size, um, the level of development and dependency, it is an interesting argument. It's quite flawed because if you just talk about the inconsistencies of that logic, um, people usually who, who use those reasons to justify can't answer the following question, which is, well, if dependency is why it's justifiable because the mother has to grow the life, what about a newborn baby? I'm sure mothers, they're very dependent. They often call it the fourth trimester because, you know, between breastfeeding and changing nappies and taking photos of nappies and sending it to, you know, your family members, is this normal? Is this color normal? Like, you know, there is a lot of dependency when uh, you have a baby. And so you sort of go, well, what's the difference between eight months in the womb, nine months in the move to, to being one month earth side, like how, like, what is the difference and, and dependency? Um, you know, and then you got to look at like the size and, and things like that. That's usually, well, it's small. It's, it's mm -hmm. small, um, so it doesn't really matter. It's the size of a sesame seed, et cetera. But yeah, if, if you recognize that life begins at conception, like all embryologists around the world agree with, um, then you know it's a life. But do you, off the top of your head, again, I'm throwing you in here. I'm so sorry if you don't know, but <laughs> off the top of your head, do you have some basic facts about the development of babies and how soon um, they can do certain things, they can hear things, see things, smell things, stuff like that? Yeah, we have all of that on our on our website, which I yeah. sometimes just pull up to tell women. But I usually stick with like, well, the heartbeat is a big is a big one, right? Like by 21 days, the heart is already beating. And so usually when I'm having these conversations with women and they found out they're pregnant, their baby's heart is already beating. And so that's, that's kind of shocking to them. They don't realize, you know, we really haven't been taught properly about uh, human development in the womb and just how quick and rapid it is. It, it really is remarkable. Um, so, and just, and like, for example, uh, I think it's eight weeks at the at the point where you'd be calling it a fetus rather than an embryo all of the internal organs are developed at that point like it's just so fast um yeah in terms of actually doing certain things i don't know off the top of my head but i always refer back to our page because we do have it all on there yeah it's really fascinating i think you hit the nail on the head we're just not taught correctly about any of these things. And you have to wonder, is this deliberate? Um, is it is it all by design that we are oblivious to the magnificence of, and the magic, I guess you could say, of the womb and the creation of life? Um, it's like, praise God for, in his glory. Like, it's just, you can't put, I, I can't put it down to anything else other than the magnificence of our creator, because yeah. it's just, 
um, it's amazing. Yeah. As you said, like, um, the heartbeat at 21 days, um, I have, I have my best friend right now is currently pregnant, um, with her first and, um, she was, I was talking to her on the phone yesterday and she was saying that, um, you know, the little flutters, you know, the little feeling of bubbles popping, um, have sort of started and, you know, she's, not even out of her first trimester and she can already feel it. She's already throwing up every day, all day. Oh, no. um, she feels the effects of it. I feel for her right now. Yeah. Every time I speak to her, I'm like, you'll be okay. It's nine months. You've got this. Um, but yeah, it's amazing how quickly she knew she was pregnant even before it came up on the um, pregnancy test because she, she's quite in tune with her body. And she's like, something's different. I feel it. Yeah. And yeah. there it was. Um, before even science could tell her she she yeah. knew within herself. It's just amazing. The, the, and the woman body is incredible for doing that. And it really upsets me, the, the pro-abortion movement and how it weakens women. It basically says women are incapable of carrying a child. Women are incapable, not only physically, but emotionally to do things. Um, and it, it almost sort of says, you know, trying to empower women by telling women that they suck and you're not yeah. strong enough to <laughs> endure this. And, you know, like women have been given a gift by God to, to be able to do this. Um, it's by our design. It's our inherited purpose. It's, um, it's beautiful. And I'd love to see a shift of culture uh, around that and, be actually pro women, pro womb, pro life, pro strength. Like meekness is not weakness, and we certainly are not weak creatures by any means. Like, I mean, come on, like we have to push out babies. Like we're pretty strong and resilient, and I, I can't stand that this uh, pro-abortion movement dis dismisses the ability of and capability of women. I'm sure you've seen it. The cape, how strong women can be. Um, I'm not sure if, if, if you've seen it yourself or you've seen something different. Oh yeah, for sure. Well, and a lot of the women that we're working with are single moms, right? And so they're, they're going into this alone and um, they do it. It's not easy. I can't even imagine for, for some of them, the situations that they're in just to be completely alone. We've had a lot of twins born over the last year, actually. And so there I'm thinking, you know, I'm telling this young woman, like, you can do it, you know, well, we're going to trust in God. He's going to carry you through. We're going to help you at the same time. I'm kind of like, oh my goodness, like this is going <laughs> to be hard, you know? And so, um, but they do it, they do it. And it's, it's just amazing the levels that these that these women rise to. And and these are women basically now because they're single moms, they're doing what would have been the man's job and, you know, providing a living for these children as well as taking, like they're doing, it's so much harder than it was meant to be, but they're doing it and they're women and they're doing it. So yeah, that it irritates me a lot as well to, to hear from this left telling women that they can't. Mm, definitely. Now, at the very beginning, I was sort of talking about um, a video that you put out a long time ago with the famous wig. Yes, the famous pink hair. Um, and it's sort of, it, it is probably one of the things that made me aware of of who you are and, and, and sort of what you were doing. And not only that, it was really it, it was a very profound, um, I guess, take on abortion. And it's something that, you know, there, there are lots of things that people say and common points, but it was something that hadn't really been spoken about much. And that was the um, magical birth canal. Um, I'm not sure if I'm saying that 100% correctly, which is why I want you to kind of explain it for the audience, just sort of what that video was. I mean, it, I'm a little bit disappointed you didn't bring the wig so you could reenact it. I'm but... sorry, my hair is so boring. I know. <laughs> yeah, no, you said it right. Just, yeah, the magical birth canal, just the idea that you don't have human rights until you've passed through the magical birth canal and you've been born. And so, yeah, we had this big sparkly 
birth canal that we made. <laughs> and then we had my friend's baby and we were kind of passing the baby along in front and showing that, you know, here's the child over here, not a human, but coming through the birth canal out now, now it's a human being deserving of human rights. And that is because that's actually how it is here in Canada with our, with our laws, you are not even considered a human being until you are born. So, um, yeah, I just, I, I thought about it. I thought about how ridiculous it is. I thought about how ridiculous it would look to actually like visualize it, to actually yeah. do it. Yeah. And so, and so we did it and that's, that's how that happened. <laughs> five seconds or whatever it was, seven seconds of magic where all the transformation <laughs> occurs just straight through yeah. that birth canal. Um, but you're right. It is helpful to see it in a tangible way. Like this is actually how ridiculous your logic looks when it's when you're confronted with it because people don't like to see it again because when you see it you can see the flaws in it when it's something that you can see in front of you that's when you can examine it properly and if you examine it you can see it's pretty rotten and it's not right um which is why people don't want to see it but it, it was fantastic because it is it's like well what you know this magical birth canal and a lot of people say that, that you know that never happens um like a ba it, people are bought only like you know before a heartbeat um and people again don't want to believe that a nine-month-old baby can be aborted and legally and it's interesting you mentioned in canada that until a life is born they don't have human rights so i'll take you I'll, I'll take you one further than that um because in australia and i think in some places around the world if a baby is born and lives as a result of a botched abortion you can't do anything to help the baby it just dies and i think it's up to 21 days or something crazy like that um that you can't touch this baby you can't assist it in any way it's actually legislated that even if it's born and it's breathing on its own it's alive you're not allowed to help it you've got to just let it sit there and that's an abortion um so I'm not sure if Canada's at that level of depravity, but we are here now in Australia at that level that even that magical birth canal in some instances is irrelevant now. It's lost some of its magic because if a botched abortion happens, the baby's left. Yeah, well, that's, yeah, that's really sad that you actually have legislation of that. The, the problem here is there's no legislation at all. Um, so abortion's not illegal, it's not legal, it's just nothing. So I'm sure that, that if a baby was born late term, which is possible here, um, and then there's there's no law as to there's no there's nothing that they they should do. So it's kind of just up to them. So who knows what's happening? And I'm sure mm. really bad, awful things are happening. I had no idea that was the case in Canada. That's really interesting. It's like booking to get your hair done at the hairdresser, like, or getting your yeah. eyebrows waxed or something. That's really, that is actually scary in a medical uh, sort of precedent, isn't it? Um, but I'm not sure if you're happy to sort of go into it, but I did want to talk about the methods of abortion um, and different ways, because again, um, just speaking with people over here, I was explaining to them what late-term abortion can look like and i've watched a lot of videos on it um and it has scarred the my my memory forever and i i've seen some really bad things in my line of work over the years but these abortion videos uh would definitely be up there as something that sticks like glue to your brain that you just can't shake off because it's it's unnatural and horrible um, to see, but people aren't aware that that happens. And you explain to them, like, no, 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 that couldn't happen. Uh, mm -hmm. That I was explaining, you know, late-term abortion, how they basically birth the baby feet first and leave the head remaining in the woman, and then snip the spinal cord, um, and that's perfectly legal. A nine-month-old baby, people don't believe it, but it's true, and. I know you're very well versed on the types and methods of abortion and as hard as this is going to be for some, I think we need this is that moment where we cut the fat off the meat because I think people 
need to be hit straight between the eyes with this, with the reality of yeah. it. So if you're happy to share, um, I'd love for you to kind of go through the types of abortions that are available to women. Sure. And two, what I've, what I've realized is that it really differs by country because what you just described is the partial birth abortion. And I believe that's now illegal in the United States. Um, I think so. I'm not like, that's, that's still mm. happening in Australia. You're, you're saying the, the feet first. Again, I, I don't, I don't know. I know. I knew that it was a, a method that they used in America for a very, yeah. very long time. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I, I'm not actually pretty, I'm not well versed on what methods right. they use over here. Okay. Yeah. Um, so like here, the main way that they do late term abortions is with an injection um, of digoxin, basically, um, they, they try and get it into the baby's heart, like through the woman's belly into the baby's heart, but they often miss. And so like, sometimes, you know, it could go into the baby's face. It could go like anywhere and it's an injection to cause a massive heart attack and then the baby will die. And at that point, then they, um, induce labor. So the woman delivers a dead baby, um, so that's, that's, I think, I believe right now, the most common late-term abortion. Um, go back a little bit in the second trimester, um, they'll have a uh, D&E, dilatation and evacuation, that's um, basically dilating, like forcefully dilating the woman's cervix, usually using laminaria um, rods. And they say gently, but I mean, I... I think from people that I know and just talking to people, I think it would damage your cervix to be mm. uh, forced open like that. But anyway, that is the one then where they just um, they've dilated the cervix and they just go in with instruments and they first use the suction and they try and suck out as as much, you know, the, the fluid and as many as parts as will as will come off. Um, but at that point, the baby's bones are a little harder than in the first trimester. So you can't just do it all with the suction. And so then they'll go in with the instruments and just start ripping, um, ripping limbs off. The child is alive through this whole process. Um, and they will crush the baby's skull because that would be the largest part, crush the skull and, and take that out. Um, that's like the most common one for second trimester. And then first trimester, you have the DNC dilatation and curatage where same thing. They they'll dilate the cervix, um, usually just with instruments, though, like more like just a larger one and a larger one. And then uh, they'll they'll do it with the suction. They'll thicken that suction catheter. And because the baby's bones are so soft, they can usually just suck most things out. And then they'll go in with their their little tools and, and scrape out the rest. And I guess now. Um, What's become most popular is the abortion pill, um, which basically starves the baby of progesterone. And so the baby basically starves, starves to death. And then um, the, a second pill will induce um, the, the labor or, or for the, you know, for everything to come out. Um, and the, I mean, all of these are awful. They're awful, awful methods, all of them. Um, and what, what I've noticed now, is that as different laws go in and different countries, you know, with different laws, women are using that first method of the abortion pill much later in their pregnancy, even to uh, third trimester. And so they are delivering babies alive and they are then killing those babies and, and or just leaving them. They come out in their house, a third trimester baby, they're in their washroom and they birth their child. and it's horrific. I, I don't even know what to say to that. I, you hear things, you know, it's horrible, but I can't imagine, uh, giving birth to a still babe, stillborn baby, or even one that's partially alive. And it's just in the third trimester. That's crazy. Uh, th there was a video, um, a movie, sorry, that came out for the life of me. I've forgotten it, but it basically highlighted abortion um and it really kind of i think people i think that particular movie really showed people what that pill actually 
can do and yeah. the negative effects that it can have. Um, because yeah, like I think it, I think it's fairly new, isn't it? That technology with the tablet, like it's, it's sort of newish. Yes, I, I think so. And I think you're talking about unplanned. That's the and, one. Um, yeah. My friend, Ashley Bratcher, she's, she's the actress in that. And yeah, that was like a horrific, horrific pill scene that, um, mm. that is what I've, I've heard from so many women. They just, they, they're like, I didn't realize how much blood there would be. I didn't realize how painful it would be. I didn't realize that I would see a baby lying there at the end of it. So it's, it's marketed as a um, kind of like a neat, discreet way to abort. Um, but I, I mean, it's murder and it's definitely leaving people traumatized. <laughs> hmm. Yeah, it's, um, it can be quite dangerous, I've heard as well, because sometimes it doesn't work and it can actually um, leave infections for women, like if the baby isn't aborted fully and, and bits are left and women are getting quite sick from it. Uh, you've got yep. to get follow-up ultrasounds to make sure the baby's not still there. All of these horrible, horrible things. But again, you're right, it's being marketed as this magical pill that you can just take and it's like nothing ever happened. Again, there's just a lot of lying and a lot of propaganda that's sold to women um, to get them to do things. And there's not really a, an ounce of truth in what women are sort of being told. You've got like the morning after pill, which is if you have unprotected sex, you, you just take it that day. And apparently that changes your ovulation or, I, I'm not sure exactly, to be honest. It's not really something I know too much about. I won't pretend, but I think it's sort of being sold as like a morning after pill type scenario that, you know, that's it. And, um, you know, uh, yeah, again, I'm sure you've heard testimony after testimony of how it's very different to that in fact. Um, but yeah, I'm not sure in Australia what methods are sort of used predominantly and mostly um, all of it is, as you said, bad, like it's a life. It's the ending of a life. I've actually seen a video of um, the late term abortion with the injection into the uh, baby's heart. And I saw the baby flinch and try and pull yeah. away from that needle. And you see it fighting in its mother's womb to get away from it, but it's in its mum's womb. It can't move very far and eventually is. And there are so many resources, I guess, out there like that, that are similar. And I often, I said this to you before, if people actually just watch an abortion, you would pretty much end the abortion industry altogether. Um, there's video, there's ultrasounds of, um, babies where the method that you spoke about in the second trimester where they rip limb off to limb off, um, you see the babies again, pulling away from the instruments, trying to avoid it. You see like an arm popped off and the baby's still trying to move away so it doesn't get something else. It's just vile. And I, I, I yeah, I almost want people to see it as hard as it is. No, you know what? We're we're um, we're working on a new series, and that is exactly the first episode. It's a it's a true story. Um, this ultrasound tech messaged me, and the deal is that they'll be kept completely anonymous. And this person wrote out the whole experience. Um, they watched the child being ripped limb from limb, and it was a second trimester baby. Um, off the top of my head, I think it was somewhere around 20 weeks. Um, yeah. And so, and so this child did fight right until the end. And um, we have uh, Kevin Sorbo. I don't know if you know him yeah. over there in Australia. But okay. So he, um, he did the voice acting for it. And he was like, he, I sent him the script and he's like, I can't do this without crying. Like I'm going to have to, <laughs> like, it's so bad. And then he like, he just did an amazing job. It's, it's going to be like, I wanted to make it because of that. I think that people don't see this kind of stuff. They don't realize what it actually is. And so we're just, we're just making it. It's, it, it's a whole series, but that, that is the first episode. I actually, I'm not even kidding. I have goosebumps. You probably can't see it, but it, it, it is it's just so unnatural. And it, it's, as I said, we, 
if we saw that happening to an animal in 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 yeah. its mother's womb we would be on the streets with signs we'd glue ourselves to a sidewalk we'd we'd storm the capital <laughs> like you know yeah. we, we would do stuff like that but for a human life we don't want to see it it's yeah. it, it's either uh, willful blindness, spiritual blindness, or uh, again, people want to do it because they want to get away with their their way of life without yeah. consequence. Um, but I'm so glad that you're doing that video. As hard as that's going to be, I do think that it is, we're at that level where we need to just have the real and honest conversation. People need to know what's happening. Um, I often said this in, in all my years in policing, if people saw how drugs were manufactured, people saw how, how a cook cooked drugs, they probably wouldn't consume them. I've seen men ejaculate into methamphetamine cooks before. <laughs> no, really, like it's disgusting. Oh, I've wow. seen them let their dogs pee in um, all of the all of the drugs that they're cooking up and then they make it manufacture it and sell it to kids on the street and I'm like if people saw what went into these things and the people that made the drugs they probably would be less likely to consume it and the similar logic applies with abortion people saw what actually took place and the lies were stripped back the propaganda was stripped back the veneer the surface layer of what we've been told to believe is taken away and we can actually look through a glass window down into the issue and see what we're dealing with objectively and impartially i very much think that there it would end the abortion industry i think piper john piper actually did a sermon on it and he said exactly the same thing if people saw abortion that would end the industry altogether, but we're not allowed to see it. We're not allowed to have the, we'll probably get censored for this off YouTube. I'm, I'm, I'm betting that that's going to happen. <laughs> yeah. um, but, you know, it's a conversation that needs to be had, definitely. And I wanted to sort of get into how you cope. Like I, I get a lot of death threats because I commentate politically, not just on abortion. I do it on everything, euthanasia, same-sex marriage, redefining gender. I talk about everything. I get death threats. But there are certain subjects I've noticed along the way that you just aren't allowed to talk about. And if you dare talk about it, death threats and horrible things, transgenderism in children is one, for example, yeah. um, that I have received so many. Euthanasia is another one that you can't really talk about because people have reasons why it's okay. And abortion is the other red flag there. As soon as I talk about it, death threats, boom. And I know this is something you've experienced a lot of over, you know, the last sort of six years or since you sort of started Choice for Two. Can you kind of explain a little bit about what you experience and, and how you kind of cope with that as well? Yeah, I've, I've had, yeah. It, and it's unbelievable that, that people uh, can get away with it, I feel like, because I get flagged all the time for stuff that I'll post online, which is not a threat or anything, but someone's offended by it. And I get, you know, blocked for this many days from Facebook. Yet people can send me, people send me full on public messages saying, you know, you should be doused in gasoline and someone should light the match. And like, we need to, you know, I hope this one guy was like, I'm going to come and find you and rape you. And then you're going to be pregnant with my child. And then you see how that feels like and how you want to. And it's like, I don't, I, I can't believe they're writing these types of things publicly and they are not getting in trouble. Like I'll even like report it to Facebook just to see. And no, Facebook will send me back. This doesn't violate our community standards. So like, I, I don't know if there's some sort of um, flag on my entire account where, because that's, that's a pretty blatant threat. Um, I've talked to police about things before and they were like, you can't, like nothing can be done until somebody actually hurts you. And at that mm. point, then and I'm like, well, that's super helpful. Um, but I, <laughs> I, I, I don't, I mean, it is, it is quite serious. And some things people have said, I'm just like, it is shocking. Um, but then I've like that comment there about the, I, the, the being doused with gasoline and lit on fire. I screenshot that and I blocked out the person's name because if I didn't, I'd get uh, penalized for bullying. Um, and so I used that to fundraise um, for this series that I was just talking about. Um, so I blasted it all over the place being like this, 
this person was writing that in response to the series that we're making. Like people are so mad about this series. Like I, they haven't even seen anything from it and they're so mad. So like, I'll do stuff like that. Well, I'll take their comments. I'll take their threats, whatever. And then I will use it to fundraise. I raised $60,000 because of that person and their gasoline comment. Wow. Touche. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I guess that's, that's a way of, of um, turning it around completely. Um, but are you able to sort of go into that series? You're produ- you're, you're sort of creating just for people who yeah. might want to keep an eye out for it. Yeah, it's called Exposed. And um, like you mentioned, it's probably not going to be allowed on YouTube. So there's this new platform that's coming out. It's called Lure TV, L-O-O-R dot TV. And um, they are the ones actually who reached out to me and asked me if I'd make a series for their platform. So because um, this is a much bigger project than anything that we've done before. I don't think I was even thinking along the lines of something this big. Um, but so it's six animated shorts, six different episodes about six different things connected to the abortion industry that people really aren't talking about. So that second trimester abortion is one. Mm. Um, The second one is about IVF, in vitro fertilization, and just exactly how that happens and how many lives are actually lost along the way because people don't know. Um, I think where I don't want to like say all of them because some are supposed to be a surprise, but we are going to be going into um, fetal harvesting and um, that from the past used to create the vaccine cell lines, sorry, the fetal cell lines for vaccines. And then also um, just this ongoing market of sale of fetal body parts and how that's all playing into the research and our, our medication among other things. So um, the whole series is like that. It's all very extreme, <laughs> I would say. Um, but I think that every episode is going to shock people. And I hope shock them into that feeling of urgency and that people will start doing things. We are at the stage where we need the shock. So I take yeah. my hat off to you for being one of the people who are willing to do it. Usually the first person who's willing to do it usually cops the hardest response. There's that saying, if, you, if you're right, but you're right too early, um, it's usually not, it's not ideal for that particular person. And then it usually comes out, you know, later than yeah. you're willing to sort of be there at the forefront of that and i take my hat off to you and you know um we certainly support what you do here and um are really looking forward not to having to watch it but at what it's going to hopefully achieve with the exposure of these ideas and things that you're going to be putting forward now before we sort of wrap up today i did want to kind of end on more of a positive note and that's sort of what you're doing at choice for two with um your organization. And a lot of people say you can't just be anti-abortion. You can't just be, you've got to be anti-abortion pro support for, for the women who do make the decision to keep the, the child. And that's something that you do. I'd love to hear any stories that you might have to share of um, positivity where women have made you know, life-changing decisions. Um, and, you know, I guess a, a little bit about that particular side of what you do. Right. So yeah, it's, it's very encouraging to see, um, like, uh, here in Canada, it's illegal to stand outside of an abortion clinic and try and reach women that way. So whereas a lot of my friends there, like Jeff Durbin and all those guys down there in the States, they're having great success, um, reaching women in that moment, you know, in the last moments, we can't do that here in Canada. So that is why we moved online, um, which is working for now. And every month we put out a newsletter about every month and we'll put all the baby pictures for the babies that have been born, like since the last newsletter. So um, that's really encouraging to, to see these pictures of children who were almost killed and now here they are. And then yes, we stay in touch with the women and um, over the years and watch these children grow up and watch the mothers. And these kids motivate the women to better their lives. We've had women quit drugs. Um, 
women have gone then, you know, because they wanted to provide for their family, gone and gotten degrees so that they can have jobs where they can support themselves. Um, my one um, baby, who was the first one, her name's Chloe. Um, she just turned two and she is the baby two years and nine months back or whatever, um, where I kind of switched the way that I speak with women who are considering abortion, because I've been told by the pro-life movement, you can't say this, you don't do it like this. You can't actually say it's murder to a woman. It's too harsh. It's all these things. Um, and with that mother, I did say those things, um, in a loving way. And like, I'm friends with her still. Um, I'm probably going to be seeing Chloe, um, hopefully pretty soon. And it's just amazing to see, um, this young woman and her successes. Now she, she got out of the abusive relationship that she was in. She moved cities. She, uh, got a job and she is raising this little girl, uh, who's doing remarkably well. And, and this mom sends me updates all the time, just with pictures of, of how she's doing. And it's just kind of mind blowing to think that had you not reached out or had she not reached out and we hadn't had that conversation, like this child wouldn't be here. And then that young woman, I will bet you would still be in the rough situation she was in with that abusive man and everything that went with it. Hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Incredible. I, I do love seeing the pictures that you put out. Um, I follow it. It's, it is encouraging seeing women, um, take on motherhood like that and, and, and have these children. And it, it really does kind of make it all feel worth it when there's lives that have been saved. Um, but look, I, I absolutely love what you do. I love the work that you do. I've followed you for a really long time. For people who might want to follow you closer, um, where can you direct them? And, and not only that, if people want to support what you do, where is somewhere that they can go to do that as well? Well, our website's probably easiest and it connects to everything else, which is just choice42.com. Uh, the number is four and then two.com. And uh, we have all the different social media platforms, both for Choice for Two and then for just me, Laura Clausen, um, kind of two different accounts going on there. And yeah, don donate options are on the website. So that that's kind of the easiest way to connect with everything. Awesome. Well, I really appreciate you coming on here today and, and your time. Really excited for that series to come out and really hoping and praying for the success of everything that you're doing um, in the future. So thanks again for coming on. Thank you so much for having me.